All right, got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, um, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. Um, Genesis chapter 3 is where you can turn to. That's where we're going to be at today. This is week number 3 of our um, our relationship series um, called Love and War. It's a battle for your relationships, and as we've tried to say every week, this isn't just about marriage. Um, this is about all of our relationships, your relationship with your coworkers, your neighbors, um, others in, in our church family, um, definitely husband and wife, but, um, but dating relationships, relationships between um, kids and parents and parents and kids, those are difficult, yes or no? Yeah, those are rough. And then your relationship with Jesus. And so how, it's, it's, this is about kind of the, the spiritual warfare side of how the enemy attacks us in all of our relationships and why it's important for us to understand that, that we need to fight for um, our relationships. We don't necessarily need to fight in. Um, and when we do fight in our relationships, we need to learn how to fight fair. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But, but really, it's just it's all about just this this battle and how difficult it is. Today's sermon is going to be about men. So I'm going to be done in four minutes. Like I said, we're going to pray and go home. Uh, I will start off with tell, by telling you something. Like you might not agree with this at the beginning, but give me some time to kind of build it up. And I think you'll agree with me when we get there. Um, men are just as complicated as women. They, they really are. Now I know some of you ladies are looking at me saying, are you saying we're complicated? Yes. Absolutely. You're completely complicated. And don't judge me because you're the ones who call yourselves complicated. Because I can walk up to you and I can see you in the foyer this afternoon and, and you'll be crying. And I will ask you, what is wrong? And you will say what? I don't know. Oh, that's complicated. Right? So don't judge me by calling you complicated. I'm just saying men are as complicated as well. And so today we are going to talk about men because last week we talked about the women and, and I know you told me that you sat in here and you were highly offended, but you couldn't argue with anything that I said. And so you like went through this whole thing of like, I'm mad at you, but you're right. And I'm mad and you're right. And again, that's how we're complicated. Um, and so today, as we, as we talk about men and we're doing this, this series, like here's, here's the number one thing about today's message. I'm really glad I'm not preaching next weekend because that'll give you time to like defuse because you might get a little bit ticked off as we kind of go through this and we kind of expose the way that the enemy attacks us when we look at the spiritual warfare side of things. And so today I've got, I've got three questions that the enemy hits men with. And then these are questions that every single man in here, like whether you want to admit it or not, you're either asking, you have asked, or you will ask these questions at some point in your life. Now, before we get there, let me kind of set this up with something that we can all understand so that we're all on the same page. All of us, men and women, we all have dreams, right? Everybody in here has had a dream before. And when I talk about dreams, I'm not talking about like you had the life goal. I'm talking about you went to sleep and something crazy happened in your mind, right? Crazy, anybody have crazy dreams? Because that's what some of us have. Crazy dreams, weird dreams. Some of us have fun dreams. Some of us have nightmares. Anybody have a recurring dream, like something you dream about all the time? I, I do. I have this dream where people are getting ready to bury me alive, which is horrifying to me. Like, that's not the way that I want to go out. Like, I want to go out with lightning strike or a nuclear missile or Jesus just comes back or what? it's just super fast. Like, I, I want to go, go quick. And so 
have this dream where people are, are burying me, and as they're getting ready to put me in the ground or throwing dirt on me, I look around, and, and there's a group of people that I know. Like, I legitimately know this group of people, and, and I know that they could help me. They could save me. All I have to do, all I, all I have to do is, is call out to them. All I have to do is scream. But every single time when I try to scream, what happens? Nothing comes out. You ever had this dream? You're trying to scream, and you can't scream, and so I'm trying to scream louder and louder and louder, and nothing's coming out. And listen, when you can't scream, when you can't get somebody's attention, when you can't get the people who you know can help you alongside of you, and you realize you're on your own, that sucks. And so you're screaming in silence, and no one is hearing you. I just described every single man in this room, emotionally and spiritually screaming for help but nobody hears us now i know some of you are saying oh that's a little bit of a stretch you say every man like for real ryan come on not every single man i'm for real because statistics will tell you 70 percent of men admitted in a recent survey that all of them struggle with some sort of secret depression secret because we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to seem weak 80 percent of the people in prison today in america are men 85% of suicides that happen in America are men. And women outlive their spouses by an average of 10 to 15 years. Men are screaming and suffering emotionally and spiritually, and there seems to be no relief. Now, men know how to speak certain things. We know how to to scream out certain things, like, like anger. Like, we know how to speak anger. Men do anger very well, right? As a matter of fact, men do two things, speak two things really well, anger and sex. And most men don't do the second one very well because you have a messed up view of what it's supposed to be, which is another message for another time. So let's talk through this. I can feel how thick it is in this thing already, man. This is going to be great. You guys are going to hate this. Listen, guys, the devil messes with our minds. Like, that, that's his playground. And he messes with our minds in so many ways. We see it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, where Eve and the serpent are having this conversation. And, and by the way, Adam sits there in silence the whole time it's happening. Adam could have shut this thing. I've talked about this every week. Adam could have shut it down. Adam had a responsibility to shut it down. But Adam doesn't say a word until verse 10. It's just Eve and the serpent. And this is what we see. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he, ate, he didn't say anything at all. Nothing. He didn't step in. He didn't man up. He didn't embrace the plan that God had for his life. He didn't listen to what God had said. He knew God's plan. He knew God's decree. He knew what he needed to do. And he said absolutely nothing. He just ate it. And I believe since that time, the enemy is asking and, or making men ask themselves three questions. The first one is this. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? And this translates into so many things like do i have what it takes to be a man do i do you know manhood gets defined in so many different ways have you ever heard guys you ever heard like a man is blank and you just completely disagreed with it um years and years and years ago i first became a christian 
I had not been a Christian for very long, and I felt God's call into ministry. And so um, I started going to Bible college, and one of the classes that I had, um, we had to read this book by a guy named Gene Getz. It's called The Measure of a Man. And it's, it's a great book. It's a phenomenal book. But I read that book, and this book said, well, a godly man does this, and a man does this, and a man does this, and, and all these things. And I'm like, there is no way. No way I'm ever going to be able to do those things. Like, like I, I'm, I'm barely saved. Like, I'm six months into this thing, and I'm being told I have to do this, 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 and this. And, and there's no way. And, and, you, and that's our problem, is we see all these things, we hear all these things. Everybody has this perception, whether it's in the church or in the world, of this is what it takes to be a man. And it makes us question, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to be a man? Here's the deal everybody needs to understand. Every single man in this room is under pressure. Pressure. Pressure to perform, pressure to lead, pressure at work, pressure in our family, just pressure. And every single one of us, every man can handle a certain amount of weight, like, like for illustrative purposes only. Like, I, I think today, like if I went into the gym and I got ready to bench press, I could probably put up 100 pounds pretty easy. Maybe 150, possibly like 175. I'm str- I'd struggle right now. I'd struggle at like 200. But I know if you put 250, 275 on it, ain't going to happen. If you put 300 on, it's going to crush me. Now, there are some men in our church, you could do that easy. You could bench press 300 pounds, you could do it. 300, not a problem. Adam, 300, not a problem, right? Like, you got it, on it. I couldn't do it. See, every man has a breaking point. Every man can handle a certain amount of pressure, but every single one of us is under pressure, and we're wondering, do I have what it takes? And again, that translates into so many different things. Like, do I have what it takes to be a husband? Do I? Do I have what it takes to be a husband? How many of you are married? Raise your hand. It's not a trick question. Hands should go right up. You don't have to look at your wife and ask. Like, it's, you got it, right? there. <laughs> if you're married, you've asked that question. Do I have what it takes to be a husband? Listen, I, I know this isn't politically correct, but I don't care. Like, the last thing that I'm ever going to get accused of um, is going to be politically correct because um, mostly I don't care for real. Um, I want to tell you what it was like when I was growing up. This is like, this is me. This is when I was growing up. I don't know how it is today, but growing up, this is how I had it. Men did not get prepared for relationships. Girls did. Like, when I was growing up, little girls were playing with Ken and Barbie. Girls had easy-bake ovens. How many of you had an easy-bake oven? Anybody? Those things were the best. Easy bake oven. You had that, you're learning, had the little kitchen set, learning about relationships. Boys didn't have that. Like boys, boys didn't have Ken and Barbie. Like they were outside shooting things, killing things, blowing things up. They would take your Ken and Barbie and they would shoot it with a BB gun and then put it in your easy bake oven, right? Like that's what the boys did. That, that's what they did. And, and, and they were different. And girls, girls start reading, like on average, girls start reading before boys. And, and girls, at a certain age, they start reading romance novels. By the way, did you know 70% of the books in America um, that are bought today are bought by women, and the majority of those are romance novels? Listen, there's a reason, girls, they call it fiction. Because it doesn't happen like that, right? That's why you got to read about it. You never met that man. Fiction. Fifty Shades of Stupidity. And then, when the guy, when the guy does read, it's not that. There's a lot more pictures in it, right? 
We're different. We don't get trained for relationships. In fact, ladies, and and I'm not trying to be mean, but you you need to understand this, and, and this is the truth. The majority of things that you think you know about men, you were told by other women. Let me tell you about men. Let me tell you about, let me tell you about, chick, you ain't even got one. Shut up. But women, you learn about men from other women. You learn from Oprah and Cosmo and and whatever, but very few women get their information about men from other men. And and this is what you say, and I get it. I understand, well, he's just so shut down. He's shut down because he's wrestling with the question, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to be a man? Do I have what it takes to be a husband? Let me tell you something about a man. The, The reason a lot of men shut down is because a man won't play a game he doesn't think he'll win. If two men are playing a video game, think about this. Two men are playing a video game and one, one man is beating the crap out of the other man, what will the other guy do? Shut the game down, right? Turn it off. Because men are constantly being reminded of how short we fall. And, and we understand we fall short in being husbands. There's pressure. Do I have what it takes? Here's another one. Do I have what it takes to be a dad? Do I have what it, man, being a dad is terrifying. It is. I remember the first time that I had to actually care for Chloe on my own for 24 hours, just me and her. Man, I, it was frightening. Mary had gone away um, on this like spiritual retreat for the weekend. She's like, here's the baby. She's six months old, and it's just me and her. Like, I was so afraid. I'm terrified now. Like, today's her birthday. She's 21 years old today. I'm still terrified because I look back at the things of, that I've done as being a dad. You know I've done more stupid things then I've done good things. And so as men, we wonder, do I have what it takes? You know why? Because it wasn't modeled for us. Most men did not have being a good father modeled for us. And so we're figuring it out on the job. It's absolutely crazy. And then we get told, well, you just need to go talk to another man. You just go to, he, he grades his children and his kids are doing, they're different. Every kid is different. Every kid goes on a different path. Every kid has to figure out their spiritual journey. Every kid is called a different way. And and so everybody is different. And and so it's hard. And then you start wondering, well, how am I going to lead my family spiritually? And if you struggled with how do you lead your family spiritually, let Pastor Ryan tell you how difficult this is. Like, I'm a pastor. And you know how hard it is spiritually to lead my family Somebody asked me one time, they said, hey, what's the biggest crowd that you've ever spoken in front of? And there was this event, I used to do youth conferences all the time, and so there's one, it was probably like 5,000 people in the room. And they were like, were you scared? I was like, no, not at all. I just went out and grabbed the microphone, got on stage, preached, and got off the stage, and everything was great. Like, it, it, was, it, was, it was fine. I wasn't scared at all. But you know what is scary? Praying with my daughter, praying with my son, praying with my wife. If, if you're a man in this room and the thought of play, praying with your wife, play, praying with your kids scares you, doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. I'm telling you, it confirms you're a human. Do, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to do it? Here, here's one more. Do I have what it takes to be a follower of Jesus? Do I? Do I have what it takes to be a follower of Jesus? There's not a man in this room, most likely, that hasn't felt at some point in your life you have fallen short in your walk with God. I'm going to say this. This is probably going to tick some people off. That's cool. Most discipleship material that is written for men is written by men who don't have a clue. 
Let, let me tell you what I mean. He's a kid who was born into a Christian home. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with any of this I'm about to say, but born into a Christian home and then either homeschooled or private school their entire life. They go to a Christian college, go to a Christian seminary, go get their master's degree at a Christian school, jump right in to pastoring or professoring at a, at a college, and, and then they start writing Christian materials for non-Christians who become Christians. And the problem is, they've never had a real-life conversation with a non-Christian, and they've never had to struggle with anything in their life. Everything has just been Jesus, 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 and everything has been great. And so the standard is set here for people who have never had to struggle. They don't know what it's like. So we start asking. We start questioning. Do I have what it takes to be a godly man? Do I have what it takes to be a Christian? Because the freaking standards are set so high. And then we come to church, and we've been told our entire lives that church is a safe place to confess sin, but only Christian sin. Only, don't, don't, don't talk about real world sin. Only confess your, your Christian, what's a Christian sin? A Christian sin is, hey, y'all pray for me. I only read my Bible five times this week. Like, like and, and we struggle with it. Because we've been taught church isn't a place where we can be real. We're taught to be fake, but we need to be real. We need to be like, hey, man, how was your week? Horrible. How was it horrible? Did a couple lines of Coke and looked at pictures of naked people on the Internet. Like most church people, you say that, I'd be like, oh, and they'd run away from you. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying, and I've said this so many times, you can't get healed until you get real. Do I have what it takes to be a man? Do I have, let, let me tell you, let me tell you the answer to that. Let me tell you what God said. God said, yes. Yes. Yes, you have what it takes to become, to be a man. You have what it takes. Th th this will be highly controversial. This will offend some people. I'm not saying it to be offensive. I'm just saying it because it's central. I'm always going to preach you the truth. I want you to know the truth. You ask me, Pastor Ryan, how do you know that God thinks I've got what it takes to be a man? Well, there's evidence. After the service, go to the bathroom. Look down. If you got a penis, God says you got what it takes because he's the one who put it there. I'm just following the science, all right? Pastor Ron, they're going to cancel you. I, maybe, probably. Who cares? Question number two. Can I trust you? Can I trust you? That's a question every single man is asking. He's asking this of his spouse. He's asking this of his friends. He's asking this of God. Can I trust you? Now, listen, I get it. It's difficult to get a man to open up. I get it. But every man, every single man, every man is asking, can I trust you? I'll, I'll tell you this. Every man needs a man in his life that he can trust. You talking about an accountability, Pastor Ryan? No, I don't want an accountability partner. An accountability partner equals parole officer. I don't need anybody else in my life I've got to perform for. I don't. But every dude in this room needs another man that can challenge him. We can laugh together. We can cry together. Somebody he can trust. Men who can look other men in the eye and tell each other the truth. 
and not judge each other. Men who can challenge each other with what it says in Proverbs 27, 17, that iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another man. Iron sharpening iron. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I don't know if you've ever got a grinder out. I don't know if you've ever been on a grind, but sparks fly. It is freaking intense. That's what needs to happen in that relationship. Every man needs another man he can trust. And if there's a man in this room that you're a person, you've got a problem trusting somebody, I get it. And I know, because at some point in your life, you got burned. Listen, if you're a spouse, he's asking himself the question, can I trust you? Can I trust you? Proverbs 31, um, we look at that because it, it describes the, the virtuous woman. But one of the things that the writer says about the virtuous woman and how she responds to her husband is verse 11. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. Her husband can trust her. Have you ever, don't answer this out loud, um, but have you ever just thought, because I've heard it said so many times, he's just so shut down, he just won't open up. Like, you open up to him, but he doesn't open up to you. Well, number one, sometimes that's not true, because number one, like, you, you've read, I'm not going to put these up here, but you've read the stats and stuff that women, you just use way more words, right? I mean, you just way more words. Like he uses like 1,200 a day, you use 87 million. Um, and number two, sometimes, sometimes you're just telling them things he's not that interested in. You don't got to say amen, dudes. You don't got to say, I can feel it. I got it right there. I got your amen. I went shopping and it was on so you're not going to say it this week? What? My shopping, it was on sale. I got this new bra, and this one is strapless, and this one, listen, he doesn't care if your bra is strapless or pushes up or it separates. Give him some time. Let him feel around. He'll figure it out. Just wants to see it on the floor anyway. Doesn't need all the information. You are trying to get canceled, aren't you? Yes. Sometimes when a guy glazes over, he's just got information overload. Women process in circles. Men process in straight lines. That's why when he's not talking to you as, as much as you're trying to talk to him, it's not that he doesn't care. It's that he's trying to process. Give him a day or two. Let him go into the cave and figure it out. He'll come back and say, you know what? You were right. What took you so long? That's why he shuts down because you're yelling. Every man in this room struggles with, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to be a husband? And one of the reasons he wonders that is because he has trust issues. Ladies, can he trust you? Can he trust you? Like if he opens up, when you get a man to open up, and if he tells you something he's wrestling with, is that safe with you? Or is that conversation coming out the next time you hang out with your girlfriends? Because if it gets back to him that you betrayed him, you're going to shut him down. You are going to shut him down. He wants to know, can I trust you? When you're asking him, one of my most favorite memes is this thing where the people are laying in bed, and she's like, I'm wondering if she's thinking about other women. I just wonder if Patrick Mahomes is still thinking about that interception. Like, that's it. Sometimes when you ask him, what are you thinking about? He says, nothing. Sometimes he's telling the truth. But sometimes he has to not tell the truth because he's struggling with, can I trust you? And ladies, you've got to ask yourself the question. Can he trust me? And do I enrich his life? Let me pause. Don't ask your husband this question. Because if he's a smart man, he's going to say, yeah, baby, you, you, do, you do. But can I trust you? Can I trust you? The last question every man is wondering, is it too late? Is it too late? You ever wondered this? 
As a man, let me tell you something. When a man messes up, when a man knows he messes up, I mean, I'm not talking about the man that, that is making excuses. I'm not talking about the man that wants to be a victim. I'm talking about the man that owns the fact that he messed up. He knows he messed up as a husband. He knows he messed up as a dad. He knows he's messed up as a Christian. He knows he has messed up. And there are men in this church that have messed up, and you've owned it. You've owned it. But the enemy wants to convince you of the fact that because you messed up, it's too late. Oh, it's too late. You had it. You could have done something for Jesus. You could have done something remarkable for the church. You could have been a great husband. You could have been a great dad. But it's too late. You messed up. You screwed it all up. It's too late. I was trying hard to figure out how to communicate this last point. And I thought, well, it's a man sermon. Let's talk about cars. This right here is a 2023 Dodge Challenger SRT Demon. I know that my dream car is the Hellcat. I know that you know that. This is like the step up. This is like, this car is somewhere between $100,000 and $120,000. I don't plan on getting any one of these anytime soon. Like, that's more than my first house. Like, like it's, it's, it's crazy. But here's the thing. Here's the thing I love about this car. If somebody does, does get one, I want to drive it, right? Please let me drive it. And this is why. This car goes 0 to 60, 1.66 seconds. 1.66 seconds. That's fast, right? I know some of you are like, is that fast? That is super, that's like your head has to be on the headrest fast because when you step on the gas, it's going to like break your neck if it doesn't. Like that's fast. Now, just kind of curious. How many men in this room would like to take this for a test drive? Anybody? All the honest men. All of them. I'm sure somebody is saying, don't me. I'm fine with going the speed limit in my Buick. Uh, anyway. <laughs> let's just say, men, let's just say your wife bought you this car for Christmas or for your birthday. Like she came into some money. Like you didn't know it. Like her great uncle that she didn't know that she had passed away or something, left her a bunch of money. And she went out and she bought you this car. She bought you the demon. That goes from zero to 60 in less than two seconds. Are you happy, yes or no? Yes. Now, let's say you went out, you drove it, and you're just like, man, this is incredible. Because let's all admit, that is a well-built machine, yes or no? Yeah. Let's say you got this thing, and you went out the next morning, and it's got a flat tire. The tire's flat. Now, this, this is not, trick. don't overthink this. If the tire is flat on the car, men, what do you do? Change the tire, right? That's an easy answer. There's not a man in this room that would walk out and say, well, guess it's over. Tire's flat. Tire always goes flat in my life. I got a good life, and then the tire goes flat. You know what? Just burn it down. Just burn the whole freaking thing down. I hate this car. Nobody would do that. Nobody would say that. If you went out, all four tires were flat, what would you do? You fix all four tires. You replace them, right? What would you do if you go out and the windshield is busted? You replace the windshield, right? You wouldn't say, well, it's fine while it lasted, but it's too late because the tires are flat, windshield are busted, so goes life, everything sucks. You wouldn't say that. And my question is, if you had a demon and you wouldn't discount it because the tires went flat, windshield got busted out, then dude, why would you allow the enemy to lie to you and tell you your life is over because you've had some flat tires and some busted windshields? Why would you let him do that? Why would you let him tell you it's too late? Listen, you're more intricately designed than the demon. Like the creator of the universe made you. Not some engineer at Dodge or Chrysler. You're created in the image of God. Yes, busted tires. Yes, smashed out windshields. But no, it's not too late. 
It's not too late if you understand two things. Number one, you've got to be honest with God. You've got to be honest with God. Weeks ago, we talked about David. I've been studying the life of David a lot lately. And we talked about David being a man after God's own heart. And I told you, David isn't a man after God's own heart because of his superior moral performance. In fact, so many times, David was a bad husband and a really bad dad. Family issues like you wouldn't believe. But, but I love what he says in Psalm 34, verse 6. This poor man called. Don't, don't miss this. Men, 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 men. Notice how honest he is. David, man after God's own heart. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. Then he saved him out of his troubles. David didn't say, hey, this awesome man called out. This manly man called out. No, David said, I am poor. I am broken. Jesus, I need you. And he surrendered. He surrendered, which leads to point number two, surrender everything to Jesus. Be honest with God and surrender everything to Jesus. Do you know this is one of the toughest things for a man to do? Is surrender his life to Jesus. You know why? Because we've got to be in control, right, men? Got to be in control. Now, I've told you before, control is the greatest illusion in the entire universe. Because you don't, you, there's so many things you can't control. You didn't control where you were born. You didn't control who your parents were. You, you can't control the fact that you could be the safest driver in the world, driving around in your Buick and pull out of the parking lot today and somebody smoke you. We are so not in control. You know who's in control? God. God's in control because he rules and reigns supreme. He controls everything. And so if your life has been out of control in regard to being a man or a husband or a father, you can just, like today, what you need to say is, you know what, God? I need you to pour out your spirit on me. Like, I'm surrendering everything. I'll I'll finish with this. I'll finish with a final question. Guys, when you were growing up and you messed up and your daddy came home, would you run and hide, yes or no? Yeah, because that's what we do. That's what men do. Men run and hide. We're good at running. We're good at hiding. We're good at that. It happened at the very beginning of the Bible. We've been running ever since. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were open. They suddenly felt shame. Because that, that's what we feel as men. Shame when we blew it. Shame that the tires flat. Shame that the windshields busted. They felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and the wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees, just like we hid from our earthly father. We hid. Maybe he won't find us. He always found us, didn't he? Did he always find us? (laughs) Oh, my dad always found me. Watch this. This is huge. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now again, who sinned first, Eve or Adam? Eve. Who did God call out? Adam called out the man because the man is responsible. The man is responsible. The man is responsible to lead. The man is responsible to step up. The man is responsible to protect. And God called out to the man, where are you? Now, I want you to think about this before you answer. After this encounter, after they sinned, and when God calls out to him, where are you? Did God punish Adam, yes or no? No. Because Adam deserved death. But God, as we'll see in the last week of this series, God sacrificed a lamb, a spotless, perfect 
lamb, foreshadowing what Jesus Christ was going to do for us. And he covered Adam and Eve with those skins. Their, their sin was paid for so that they could continue living. And so when Adam's telling, or when God is, is asking Adam, where are you? He's not saying, get out of here so I can take off my belt and wear you out, boy. Like maybe our earthly dads did. He's saying, Adam, hey, buddy, where are you? Because I know you messed up. And Adam, I know that you know that you messed up. And I know you're feeling guilt. And I know you're feeling shame. But Adam, the reason I want you to come out of hiding is because, Adam, I still have a plan for you. I still have a plan for your life. Adam, I knew what you were going to do before I created you. And I created you anyway and made provisions to pay for that. Adam, I still have got a plan. Adam, I know you messed up. I know you think you've gone too far, but Adam, guess what? I'm going to use you and Eve to eventually bring about the Messiah who's going to crush the head of the devil, crush his work, crush his kingdom. And the Messiah is going to come about and he's going to be here to save the, and deliver the entire world. And so Adam, I need you to come out of hiding because I still got a plan. I think he's telling a lot of you men today, I still got a plan. I still got a plan. I know you ran at one point, but I still got a plan. You can run back. I know you don't feel like you can measure up, but you do measure up because I still got a plan. Listen to me. We've got to stop letting the enemy take us hostage by causing us to question the manhood that God has called us to live up to. Like, listen, if you're still breathing, God still has a plan for your life, and it's greater than anything you could ever imagine. Screw the flat tire. Screw the broken windshield. It happened. It's paid for. It's forgiven. We would have a great future in Christ if we would simply learn how to surrender to him. And so man up and embrace his plan. Let's pray.